I got a little jingle for you. Can I can I launch into that? Sing it up. <clears throat> All right. Kombucha tea. Easy as one, two, three. Brew some tea, add a scoby, wait a week, and then repeat. <laughs> you are in LA, aren't you? <laughs> Paleo Hackers, with me on the other end is Hannah Crum. And she is the kombucha mama, better known as. She's been educating since 04. You go to her blog, her YouTube videos. She's all about kombucha, clearly, as you can see in the background with all those stickers. And she just did it, and I'm going to do it too. Celebratory uh, kombucha drink right here. I mean, this is a cheers. Cheers. And we're video too, if you didn't know that. If you're listening to audio, get on the video. What are you doing, guys? Come on. Come on over. 21st century, man. See our beautiful faces and our beautiful <laughs> stickers. <laughs> Great stuff. So, Hannah, Hannah, thanks for coming on. Appreciate this. This is going to be a fun one. I'm excited to be here, Clark. So, we're talking about the Bucha Luch today, the, the, the kombucha. And, um, I mean, I've seen that in Whole Foods now. You can fill up growlers with kombucha, I've seen it in bars. You can, instead of ordering ciders or craft beers or whatever, gin and tonics, you can order kombucha now. It's crazy. I mean, so this thing, every single farmer's market has like five kombucha stands with the chick with dreadlocks selling it. And like, she's got lice coming out, but she's selling you kombucha still, you know, so it's taken off. It's exploding. Um, And so my question to you, clearly you've been talking about this since 04, head of the curve. But um, how did you get into this? Why, why are you so crazy about kombucha? I call it kombucha kismet. Um, kismet means fate. And um, it just kind of uh, was a friend of mine in San Francisco. I went to visit him. Uh, my husband and I went and visited him. He had all this really cool stuff in his apartment. Like, this is 2003, before I knew much about, you know... Um, eating healthy. I was more of like the microwave ramen type at that, at that point in my uh, life. And so to go to his apartment and he had like a filter, not just on his water, but on his shower. And I was like, that makes so much sense. Get the chlorine off of your body. And uh, he had this uh, sole, this like pink Himalayan salt water. And I'm like, how can you drink salt water? Salt's so bad for you. This is terrible. And of course now that's the only salt I use. And then the other cool thing in their place was they had this box of jars. They're covered with cloths and towels. They have these weird things hanging out in them. They go, that's the kombucha. Yeah. We didn't even try it. I had no idea what it was. It looked weird. But I came back to LA, went to Whole Foods, grabbed a GT's ginger ale on the shelf. And, you know, looking back, it was that like the lights came down from heaven and the angels were singing and ah, it was love at first sip. But, you know, my true confession is I was the one sneaking the pickle juice out of the pickle jar. You know, my mom would always yell at me, don't drink that stuff. It's so bad for you. But I just, I love that salt sour, tangy stuff. So for me, it really was love at first sip. I know some people, when they first try it, they're like, whoa, kombucha face. They, yeah. they, they kind of freak out a little bit. It can be a little intense at first, but um, for me, I just loved it. Okay. And, and so drinking the juice out of the pickle jar, I mean, does this go for all fermented foods? Are you drinking the juice out of the sauerkraut? Are you... I- I certainly am now. Yeah. You know, the juice is actually sometimes my favorite part of it. I'll just like mm, sip for me and a little on the plate and another sip for me. And so you're, um, you're deep in it. You're crazy. Now I am. Yeah. yeah. I'm a total bacteria sapien. I'm bacteria power, baby. <laughs> it's all bacteria the good bugs. Sapien. All about the good bugs. I love but, um, it. 
you know, my thirst for kombucha quickly outgrew my budget for kombucha, which at the time was uh, still a bit pricey. And I know many people end up going through that experience. So I grabbed a book from the library, the only one, learned all about it, located a culture locally, sent a friend to go pick it up. That why, was exciting. Why didn't, you, why didn't you go pick it up? Well, LA is a big city. It was on the east side. I live on the west oh. side. You know how that goes. It takes five hours to get down I-5. <laughs> if, <laughs> if there's traffic, I mean, not at yeah. two in the morning, but uh, nobody's got a SCOBY for me at that time. So my friend comes over with this SCOBY. She's like, what did you send me to go pick up? This thing, is it an alien? Is it a placenta? I was like, no, 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 calm down. That's my baby. <laughs> and you brew your own, do you, Clark? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, you know, it's a kind of a funky looking little thing. Well, I mean, I-, I think they're beautiful. I got one right here. I was going to save it for later. but oh. uh, and, and this is in a plastic Tupperware temporarily. I do not want to insult the kombucha mama on my show. Not so at all. Excuse the plasticware, but he's floating right in there. And if you're on, <laughs> uh, if you're on uh, audio right now, you're missing out. You're missing the... Look at all those layers. It's the uh, kombucha hotel. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's looking good. Yeah. So, you know, it looks kind of funky, like a weird blob. So that's the SCOBY, which is a symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast. That's what the acronym stands for. And um, basically, the bacteria throw out these nanofibers of cellulose that eventually bond together and create a structure. And then kind of those brown floaty things, those are the yeast. And so the yeast and the bacteria, like their cells will be all meshed together in the pellicle, which becomes like your mother ship. So you take that from batch to batch, it creates a new layer on the top. So it's literally infinite abundance provided you just give it what it needs. And uh, in that way, we're able to just keep the flow going, give them to friends, eat them. All kinds of good stuff. Okay, yeah, I was going to bring that up later. I mean, uh, we're still warming up, but eating what? it. <laughs> yeah. Eating it. So the, the chick with the dreadlocks and the lice at the farmer's market that I got my first batch from, uh, she said that she has ate them, and then I, I called her out on it, and I said, you know what, lady? I will buy this little kombucha kit for 50 bucks right here <laughs> if you eat that scoby in front of me. And so and? She, and she loves it. She's like, oh, sure, I'll do that. And so she takes out a little like wood chop board that they, you know, you see like sushi chefs like bah, 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 with like fish on. And she chops off a little like uh, probably a good sized chunk, like two by two square. And mm. she takes a bite out of it and just eats Rawr. it. And, and yeah. I uh, so I said, OK, it must not be you're not going to keel over <laughs> and die if this lady can eat it. And I'm just brewing with it. So that's how I got into it. It's actually um, we make it into fruit leather. So we put it in the blender with some fruit. We dry it out on a dehydrator sheet at a low temp. We maintain all that good bacterial goodness, put in a healthy glob of the yeast uh-huh. for all your B vitamins, and it tastes no different than eating a fruit leather. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's like a great those, way to those ones use you used your to extras. eat as a kid in the store that yeah, were like 50 Yeah, like cents? the little roll ups oh, on yeah, the yeah, plastic yeah. sheets. Yeah, yeah that's exactly, exactly what, what it's like. Okay. Um, oh, well, I haven't, I haven't gotten that crazy. I haven't eaten anything yet. Um, maybe after the call, I will. Well, our book is coming out in February and we're going to have recipes in there. So we have recipes for like scoby sashimi, uh, with dipping sauces. And then we also have like the fruit leather and some of the other things, but you know, it's actually quite versatile and tasty. And for folks who are vegan, it might be a great, you know, vegan squid sashimi. I I can't do that. It's bacteria. It's living. I'm not going to eat that. (laughs) Uh -uh. (laughs) Well, I mean, look, everyone's bacteria powered humans, bugs, animals, plants, everything is bacteria powered. So be like the guy in India who's lived off sunlight for 72 years or something crazy. I don't know if you've heard about that. Or breathitarians. Yeah. Breathitarians. Yeah. I just, I haven't, uh, I haven't worked up the energy to give that a try. You gotta level up, man. (laughs) 
<laughs> so when we're, we're talking about kombucha today, obviously, but I think it goes to say with all fermented foods, let's put those in one category. We'll eventually get to kind of like the how to brew kombucha and the health benefits and why we do it and the pros and cons. So I'm, I'm just giving a roadmap to the people listening to this call. We're going to get into all that, guys. But first, let's start with the very basics, Hannah. Um, let's, let's break it down to the gut. That's ultimately what we're doing it for. Kombucha is good for your health because it's got beneficial bacteria. Okay, we've kind of established that. But uh, what does that bacteria do once it's in your body and more specifically in your gut? Sure. So um, as we mentioned, we are all bacteria-powered organisms. And what that means is that bacteria play such an integral role in our ability to absorb nutrition, to break down our food products. I mean, they're the ones helping us with digestion. They're the ones pulling the nutrition, the enzymes. They're catalyzing all of the metabolic reactions that need to occur as a result of putting nutritional inputs in our body, right? Because why do we eat? We think it's because it's fun and entertaining, but really it's because our body needs certain, certain inputs in order to optimally function. So bacteria help us with that process. And then they also help us there's a concept I like to talk about called isopathy that comes from the Greek, and it means like controls like. So the way we think about that, like in homeopathy, they think about it where, you know, plants taking uh, plants and certain properties that will stimulate a healing reaction. So something is, is healing something. In Chinese medicine, we see that like, oh, if you eat the eyes of the fish, that's good for the eyes and the human. So like helping like. In terms of bacteria, the way we think about it is that you have good bacteria that help keep bad bacteria in check. I mean, think about it from a logical perspective. If pathogens were really so great at what they did, we'd all be dead. (laughs) So clearly there's some kind of defense system, some defense mechanism that's working where they're not able to succeed or there wouldn't be any life on this planet. And that goes, you know, pathogenic people, pathogenic thought processes, pathogenic anything. You always want to be combating that with something that is putting that back into balance, back into check. So that's what the bacteria and the yeast in kombucha do is they put those healthy bacteria, those healthy acids, they reset the pH, they get your gut into the pH that it needs to be for digestion to occur for you to be able to extract the nutrition from your food and then it boosts your immunity um, and it also creates healthy acids that help support healthy liver functioning. I think it's no surprise that the liver has the word live in it because we really need that vital organ to be functioning optimally for our bodies to feel really good. You can't live without a liver. You can't. Try it. Try it. I mean, you know. Well, and the liver is so remarkable you could even cut half of it out and it'll regrow. Yeah, it's crazy. And just the body in general. I mean, what? We get a new set of skin every 100 days or something. I was looking up that. And, and you know, we just constantly turn over and regenerate, regenerate. And so... And it's all bacteria powered. I mean, it's the bacteria cover your entire body inside and out. If you turn your body inside out, you'll still be entirely covered in bacteria. That's just how crucial they are to our functioning. And so it's unfortunate that we've gone down this path of antibiotics Mm -hmm. and putting hormones and all kinds of things in our food supply because those have an... Purell everywhere, just 20 times a day. (laughs) You're basically committing suicide. I mean, on a certain level, you know, the reason that washing your hands works so great is while you get rid of the passenger negative bacteria, you retain those bacteria that are your force field. So you're, you're more bacteria than you are cells. People love saying that one on the call. Exactly right. Now, if you weigh that out, it's only about four pounds total. So mm. a lot more of you is is a human in that regard. And the bacteria and the yeast and viruses are much smaller oh, than number number count. It's numbers, not mass. That's misleading. Exactly right. Well, but it's it's interesting to think about. You're more hairs 90%. than you are bones. I believe that. You know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I get, I get, yeah. I get that. Um, 
so you know we've had tons of people on the show recently i don't know why we're on a gut health kick uh but my friend will who listens to the show we're at la fitness and he's passing me up in the sauna and he's like another show about gut health huh clark you know and he's like this is like the fifth show in a row we've had about gut health but that that's okay because it's very important and what we're talking about today is kind of a nice capstone on it we're talking about kind of we know why the gut's important. We know how it gets disrupted, but we haven't really gotten good shows on how to fix it or how to prevent it, how to keep your gut really healthy. Well, and you know, the, um, the gut, in my opinion, is our first brain because if your gut is out of order, so is your brain. You know, people who suffer from candida overgrowth, they have brain fog. They can't think clearly. Their bodies demand sugar, even though it's antithetical to what their body actually needs. But that's an example of bacteria getting out of balance, uh, or yeast rather in this case, getting out of balance and demanding that you behave in a different way as a result. And when you start to think about the implications of that, it makes you pause and think about what am I putting in my body today? Is this truly nourishing what my body needs or am I just giving in to some other impulse that may not even be coming from me? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, you're not what you eat. You're what you eat and absorb. So you can eat organic, schmorganic, whole food, pasture raised. I don't care if the chicken like was born and raised in your backyard. It's local. It's got all the frequencies of your, your nature vibes. I mean, like it doesn't matter if you can't absorb it. You know, you can go crazy right. off the deep end. But if you can't absorb it, good luck, dude. You know? Totally. And that's about having the right chemistry in your gut. And unfortunately, the majority of foods out there shift the pH in our gut. And when you overconsume those foods, foods, then your body can't even get the nutrition it needs from the from the inputs you're putting in there. And so gut health really is, it's your engine. I mean, the reason it's in your center is because it's the most protected space, and then we radiate outwards from our center. Yeah. Uh, and going back to what you said about mood and the people with brain fog, you know, the craving sugar and these bacteria can give us cravings and like uh, the interaction between our gut and our brain. When I was doing research for one of the shows, it was something I knew a while back, but it just came up and really hit me in the face. It's that 80 to 90 percent of your serotonin is actually mm-hmm. produced in the gut. So that when you know someone's depressed and they go and get SSRIs, the serotonin reuptake inhibitors from their doctor, one of the most prescribed drugs in all of America, and it's just working on you know the synapses for neurotransmitters, like that may help and it may boost it up like things like exercise and all that but if you really fix your gut i mean talk about production when you're talking 80 90 percent um and given given i'm an idiot on the thing like i don't really get how neurotransmitters are produced and formulated and stuff but i i could deduce that if you have something that's a majority of the production uh you should probably put some emphasis on that instead of just trying to refire what little you have you know she's trying to be like get get the production up too well the truth is they're trying to hook you on drugs i mean that's what every good drug dealer does it gives you a little taste at first and gets you all into it and now you need your dose and um the truth is we don't need those things and it's unfortunate that we live in a culture that uh pushes those things on us because uh you know it's a kind of rapacious or predatory model and 
and unfortunately, what they do is they also scare people away from things like brewing kombucha at home. It's so dangerous. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, these are the, come on. People have been making this stuff for hundreds, if not thousands of years. They've lived in far dirtier <laughs> atmospheres than we do now with far less sanitation. And yet we've managed to really treasure these things so much so that it's become part of our generational heritage to pass them down, to give them freely to others. And, and that, I think, is... Again, you got to go back to the logic of it as opposed to buying into the fear. And that's what Consider the Source is all about. So consider the source of the food you put in your body. Consider the source of anything you consume, including information. And so if you go back to kind of that basic, why are we here? What do we do? How do we function? You realize that, you know, we're dirt. <laughs> you know, we need dirt-based organisms. We need to eat mud pies. We need to play in the dirt. We need to um, eat sauerkraut, which its organisms come from the dirt. We need kombucha. We need yogurt. We need all of these fermented foods in a variety of different ways. And the reason we need it through our food is unlike a supplement, which is going to come in and just like bombard your system with a ton of, you know, organisms that may or may not even survive into the digestive tract. When you get it in food, you're getting it in the way that humans evolved to consume these probiotic foods. You get yeah. it in the doses that help your body. And everyone, you know, a question we get a lot is like, well, how do I know if I've had too much? It's like, well, how do you know when you've had too many hamburgers? How do you know when you've had too many of anything? Your body tells you. And that's really the sad part of, of what we lost in all of this is we don't trust our guts. We don't listen to our bodies and the information it's giving us. I mean, Nobody is a better doctor than the person who is literally putting everything in their mouth on a daily basis and experiencing whatever effects that stuff produces. Getting into kombucha now. I mean, I can't believe we're already like 20 minutes in. This is fun. I like, I like your style. We could, this is dangerous because we could rant it up for hours on stuff and not get to kombucha and people would send us emails. Um, so, you know, kombucha, I was mentioning earlier, I go into any Whole Foods in Seattle and I see growler fill stations. You know, you go into bars, you see kombucha, everyone and their mom's brewing kombucha. It's really popular. Do you think it's around to stay or do you think it's kind of a fad or a trend? It's here to stay. I mean, look, the truth is it's always been around, just maybe not in a commercial way. Just like yogurt started as, you know, some weird thing that hippies did in the 60s and 70s, it's now ubiquitous. And unfortunately, as part of that commercialization process, it's also been, you know, somewhat bastardized in that, um, you know, whenever you produce something on a mass scale, you have to sacrifice because all of these cultures are originally to be made on your counter in small batches. And and it's mm. not to say that the commercial versions are bad, although watch your sugar counts and make sure they're not too high but they don't have the same kind of biodiversity that you get when you make it at home. And here's the thing, just like craft beer, I mean, there's lots of people who make beer at home, but of course they want to go out and sample and try everything else that's out there. And it becomes this love of the craft, love of the experience, love of, of the feeling it gives you and the flavors it provides as opposed to just like, well, I can only make it at home because sure. it's so expensive or I can only drink it out because it's hard to make, you know, so you kind of be able to, to bridge that gap there as a hobby. Okay. And I, I want to touch on that small batch comment because that's really important. I think too, you know, whenever we see it with, uh, let's take farming for instance, you know, when we monocrop and do humongous one crop farms on a mass scale, you seem to lose some quality. I'm not talking necessarily GMO here. I'm not talking pesticides here. I'm talking quality versus when you do it in your garden or on a smaller scale, it's very diverse. You get a higher quality product. You get a more nutritious product. It seems that 
uh, when we're making things to do it on a mass scale, you lose something there. So what you're saying is 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 applying that to kombucha is when you do it on a smaller scale individually for you and yourself, maybe under five gallons or what what have you, that you're able to really do quality control on those five gallons instead of five hundred. Well, it's more than just quality control. It's also how do you make five hundred gallons. How big a vat can you do it in? See, there's there's certain aspects in brewing that have to do with, you know, um, how much surface area, how much depth to surface area ratio, how much oxygen hmm. is being uh, included. So it's more than just, you know, dump everything in a giant vat and it'll work the same. It doesn't. And that's really where the challenge comes in. But, you know, you've got things like beer and wine, which have been, you know, mass produced for hundreds of years, right. th- you know, thousands of years. They've got it down to a science where it's like X amount of this yeast goes in at this time and we boil, you know, you're still going to get differences in that process, but it's a far more controlled process. And to be honest, I'm sure we'll see that happen in the kombucha industry as well. And in fact, some brands, you already see that, you know, where they're, um, they're shifting the process so that they can control it a little more finely. And that's what's great about it is there's so much variety, you know, just like you can choose to have a shock top or you can have, you know, a, a Belgian Lambic uh, yeah. or a Saison, right? You can spread the whole gamut of flavors and options. And um, I don't know if you know this, Clark, but uh, I'm also the president of Kombucha Brewers International. So we're a nonprofit protecting the commercial kombucha industry. And what I love about it is how local and regional that some of the brands really do. They just want to serve their local community. They want to make an amazing product. And I think we're going to see a lot of like craft kombucha tours coming up, just like we've seen with the craft beer industry. And then you've got people who want to make uh, big quantities and, and share it with the whole world. Yeah. So a lot of genuine people in the industry, it sounds like. Absolutely. And and I think that anyone who really loves kombucha, you can taste it in their product. You know, like uh, they put a lot of love and care into what they're putting out there. And that's why there's a kombucha for everyone. So even if you tried it once and you thought, oh, that's too sour, or that's not for me. Yeah. First of all, if you think it's too sour, you probably need it because your gut is a dysbiosis. But secondarily, give, give other brands a chance because there's going to be a flavor that you come across that you're really going to enjoy and you'll be glad you did. Let's talk real quick. You've touched on it a little bit, but the history of kombucha, it's not just something new. It's not, I mean, as trendy as it might be right now, uh, um, again, the Whole Foods growler fill, it, you couldn't always go into Whole Foods and get your growler fill, but that didn't mean that it's a new thing or that it wasn't around. Uh, give us a history on kombucha. You know, just like all of the cultures, there's somewhat of a mystery that it's shrouded in and may always be shrouded in. Just like how the heck did we get into this form is going to be somewhat of a mystery uh, throughout time. But suffice to say that people trusted their guts, they trusted their instincts, and when they recognized something that was good for them, they they treasured that and they passed it along. So some of the old names for kombucha are translated to like, um, you know, champagne of long life or elixir of immortality. And so clearly people felt that consuming this product gave their body a benefit and allowed them to um, have a health advantage over others in consuming it. Now, it's been studied for about 150 years, and it's interesting when you start researching this stuff, like how long ago did we figure out blood types, and what do we just learn about how the brain has its own immune system, you know? So, like, we're constantly learning more about the body, and I think that that's where, you know, stopping at antibiotics and and things like this is, we're not going far enough. We're not going enough to see, well, how does the body truly work if we take it out of this kind of, you know, broken machine mentality and put it into a holistic, organic system? Um, type of thought process. But, you know, kombucha has been handed down for hundreds, 
maybe thousands of years. You know, it's really hard going back and researching all this information, trying to suss out the little nuances. But definitely, was there like a big culture that did it that it came from? Well, a lot of people think it's Chinese in origin, and that makes a lot of sense because it's tea, and that's where tea came from. Tea's been around uh, five thousand some odd years, um, and so it makes a lot of sense that it would come from that type of culture. Now, the Russians really ran with it, and uh, they have a very long history with kombucha as well. But many Russians will say, oh, it came from Japan or it came from China. So there's certainly an Asian connection. And uh, we just hope that as we continue to learn more about it, that, you know, maybe we'll find out and maybe we won't and maybe it doesn't even matter. But to speak to why it's popular now, I think the real reason is we need it. We live in a very toxic world. We have uh, air pollution, water pollution, food pollution. I mean, we are poisoning everything as quickly as we can, including our bodies, and we are becoming the canaries in the coal mine. Uh, the autoimmune disease, the the dysbiosis, um, even the amount of uh, prescription drugs that people take today is a direct result of the fact that we are our bodies are freaking out and saying, "Hey, quit poisoning me already." Yep. And so um, we're going to talk about how to actually do this brew method. But one of the reasons people are one of the questions people are probably thinking right now is, why, why would I do that if I can go into the store and, and just buy it? I mean, we were just talking about 500 people who make great products. Why would I make my own? Well, and I think that's a great way to start. It's how I certainly started. And probably that's how you started your kombucha habit too, Clark, is uh, you go to the store, you find some flavors and brands you like, and all of a sudden you're like, exactly right. Like, um, how much does this cost me on a weekly basis? And yeah. all I could pay for is tea and sugar and have an infinite supply. You know, it's pennies a glass when you make it at home. And, you know, anyone who's really curious can go to kombuchacamp.com backslash DIY. We've got a, a, a downloadable recipe. We teach, I mean, really that's what we do is we educate people on how to do this at home. We want to empower people to feel confident because these are skills that our grandparents, our great-grandparents had. And all we need to do is rekindle our connection with that, you know, let the fear kind of subside and really trust that this is, you're engaging in a process that connects us back through the ages um, to our history. One of the fears I have when I'm brewing it versus buying it is that when I buy something for like $5 compared to like the $2 soda it's next to, I'm like, man, this is a good product. This is, you know, you have that like cost association with it. So you Mm -hmm. think it's this really, really high quality product, which it is. But when you can make it for pennies on the dollar on a glass, in a glass, you know, at home, you almost have that fear of, is it as good as the $5 one? Um, And so... What I want to know is, is how do they compare? How does the one that I'm making at home, assuming I'm doing it right, compare to the one that's in the store on the shelf? Well, again, it all depends on the brand, their process, and how they do it. Everyone's going to have a different um, system. But when you're making it like, home... Like, like GT. Let's talk like compared to GT. Um, well, you know, uh, when you make it on a large scale, there, again, there's different ways that people do it. But in terms of comparing the quality with GTs, what I'll say is that when you make it in small batches, which I believe they still do, um, you're, you have a better control over that. Now, when you make it in a very... Um, as you mentioned before, like when you're raising the chicken and your vibrational frequency and all of that really happens when you're making this at home because bacteria are living organisms and they will pick up on your energy. Uh, speaking of GT, he did tell me a story um, a while back about you know how the energy of who's brewing it really gets passed on to the end product. And he tastes all of the batches himself and one of the, one person they had to let go of, he was, uh, or I don't remember the exact story, maybe he was going through a divorce, going through a tough time, but all the batches that he made, they had to throw out because they didn't taste good. He got, and, he got fired for being in a bad mood. Well, I don't think, 
I don't want to say that. I don't know these There's guys. Negative are... energy. We just can't have you on the team, Tom. I'm sorry. I know your service has been great, but the, the vibes you're giving off, Tom, are just That's not what right. this company well, needs. But it's true. I mean, it really is true on a certain level. The vibes that people bring to any situation either help elevate it or bring it down. And so, but what's interesting about kombucha and other fermented foods is that can be manifest even in the flavor and taste and how it, how it, um, how it comes through. But when you make it at home, you have full control over the options. You know when it's bottled, you know, you tasted it and pulled it out when it had the flavor that you liked. So it can be a sweet or sour as you prefer it. And, And then you can get super creative with the flavorings. You know, I mean, look, GTs and all the other, there's like 20 some odd flavors out there. You can make hundreds of flavors. In fact, we've got almost 300 flavoring suggestions in our book alone. So, I mean, and those are just a jumping off point. It's an inspiration to go and experiment and do other things. And that's what's neat about kombucha. It's a flexible technology. And in fact, we've seen it in some of the commercial offerings with the coffee kombuchas or the hibiscus kombuchas. And so we can take this fermentation technology, apply it to different substrates and come up with literally a myriad of, of drinks that are that are possible in the peak of my craziness in my health kick i th- which uh, to preface this i think every single person needs to go through their balls to the walls health kick of where they're trying to do everything and anything that's the healthiest way possible like in the craziness of my health kick i was drinking blue green algae in the morning you know i was drinking like lemon cayenne juice at, at at the evening i was uh drinking clay to get you know my digestive system moving i was doing grounding with barefoot sun gazing like i was going back crazy in college and one of the ways i went back crazy with kombucha is i would drive all the way, like like an hour up north on I five uh, from Seattle uh, to the spring, this like artesian well, um, and it was like an aquifer or something. And I would get like the raw spring water, mm-hmm. right? And living would, water, yeah, living water. Uh huh. And uh, had that website find a spring, and I would go there and just buy it. And it made great kombucha. I would only use it with that kombucha because you know I was into the energies and the vibrations. Um, so my my kombucha was like this spring water elixir uh, with only you know high quality ingredients and stuff like that. Well, in several brands, they highlight their water. High Country, Hum, they all talk about like our kombucha is made with this amazing water. And you're hitting on something really important here, which is the energy of everything that you put into your body. And to go back to another point you said about nature and how it's better if we're planting different things together. I mean, nature loves diversity. Mono anything is anti-nature because that's not how nature exists. I live in a city. I live in Los Angeles. I walk out my door. I've got grass, palm trees. I've got hibiscus. I've got... You know, well, there's that too, but you know, but you've got everything. I mean, look, the bugs don't care that you live there. They're still going to live there too. The birds, the animals, all of it works together in a connected system. And that's the same as your body. And this is, you know, we are the microcosm of the macrocosm, not to get all hippy dippy here. But the truth is that if we can create peace in this organism, Think about how much more time, energy, um, thought process you're able to contribute to taking that out into the world. When you're stuck dealing with illness on a regular basis, not knowing what foods you can eat, being worried if I eat this, I'm going to have some reaction. I mean, people live in this reality of, of really a lot of pain and suffering and including something like a kombucha or a kefir or a jun or you know any of these fermented foods just starting to get a little bit into your body. 
you know, some people are going to have a reaction at first, a Herxheimer maybe. Their bodies might, and I don't know what happened to you in college. <laughs> maybe at some point you had like a crazy acne explosion or whatever, you know, as your body's expelling these toxins, it's really like peeling the layers of an onion. And the reason that you're probably as healthy and, and handsome and as all that stuff as you are now is because you did all of that onion peeling back in college, right? Because you wanted to get healthy and you wanted to do what was best for your organism. And, and that's what I found in my journey with kombucha is it's like peeling layers of an onion. So one thing will kind of heal and then another thing will come to the surface and then that will heal and then something else will come to the surface. And so be that physical, emotional, mental, all of that, it's all connected and it all lives in this organism. So over time, as we continue to give our bodies what it needs to thrive and, and survive, you eventually are able to even, you know, in my opinion, peel off generational types of energies that, that may be hampering your ability to thrive in this lifetime. I want to start moving into the how to make it because I, I, I want to, you know, dive into this. This is one of the most important parts for the people at home. Um, we got about, you know, 10, 15 minutes or so to really nail it. And I think that's that's definitely enough time to get some recipes, get some tips, get what everyone needs to do. So one of the biggest how to's um, I had when I was brewing kombucha is a is a what not to do. And that is to not leave the cover uncovered because you know you got your jar you got everything rocking and rolling in there and then you got that scoby layer and then you're supposed to cover it with the cheesecloth and i remember she's gonna tell me not to (laughs) not the cheesecloth and as you probably figured out is the fruit flies got in yeah, so, so I left it just a little, a little bit loose, and the fruit flies got in, and I opened it up like all ready a week later to drink my elixir and get, get the good energies. And yeah, what was in there? I mean, it was just like crawling and infested with those little uh, white maggots, like so eating the scoby. Fruit flies are also known as vinegar flies. Kombucha is an acetic acid ferment like vinegar, which is why it has that tanginess to it. But whereas most vinegars are diluted to a 4 to 10% acetic acid solution, kombucha comes in around 1%. So we can drink a heck of a lot more kombucha than we can vinegar. Um, But people who are familiar with vinegar's health properties can then apply that to kombucha, add in the benefits of tea. And now, I mean, look, we're taking the most popular beverage in the world, known to have amazing health benefits, and we're supercharging it with bacteria, making it even better for our body. So, I mean, just right there, that's an amazing combo. But in terms of the how-to... the loose weave will allow the fruit flies to get in, and they love kombucha. So they make great fruit fly traps, and uh, you can just put a little kombucha in a dish, a drop of soap. They all go to a happy death. They, like, drown in the thing they love, right? It's great. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, fruit flies, they're, they're a minor inconvenience. If it's a major infestation, you might toss everything and start with a new culture from your SCOBY hotel. If it's just a little bit, you might just flick them off the top and reuse it. Again, they're not harmful to humans. It's just more the yeah. ick factor. Yeah. But with people eating crickets and things these days, who knows? Maybe yes. Yeah, the bug's catching <laughs> on. Who knows? You might want a little extra protein. <laughs> a little extra protein. So, well, to- Sorry, to to back it up real quick before we start diving into kind of like what to not do, um, uh, set it up very basically 101. What does someone need to get started brewing kombucha today? All right, I got a little jingle for you. Can I can I launch into that? Sing it up. <clears throat> All right. Kombucha tea, easy as one, two, three. Brew some tea, add a scoby, wait a week, and then repeat. You are in LA, aren't you? <laughs> Well, it's more I like, you know. Beautiful voice. That was, that was nice. 
we are living in a bacterial world and I am a bacterial girl. <laughs> and you're a bacterial dude. No, okay, so it's that's the dorky me. Sorry, pardon me. But yeah, kombucha really is that easy. You brew up a pot of sweet tea, you float in your little culture and your cup of starter liquid on top. That sets the pH, it protects it from mold and other harmful organisms. You put your cloth cover, you want a nice tight weave, not that cheesecloth, but something that can breathe because oxygen is part of the process. You give it about a week, you come in, you taste it with your straw. When it has the sweet, sour balance that you prefer, then it's ready. And what you'll find is while the mother may sink to the bottom, she may float on her side. She might even hover near the top. It doesn't really matter where the mother culture lives. The new layer is always going to grow across the top. So the baby is the one on top. You're going to take both of those out and the baby can be thinner than the mother. It doesn't really matter. Again, you're more going for taste than anything else. You then also immediately take out one to two cups of starter liquid for the next batch. You want to take it from the top because if you take it from the bottom where all the yeasty stuff is, you'll throw your brew out of balance. It'll have off flavors. It'll get sour. Your scoby won't grow, things like that. Hmm. So always take it from the top. Everything else in the bottle, in the jar, can now be decanted into your bottles, poured into your bottles, add your flavoring, whatever you like. Right now I have a love potion. This is blueberry, lavender, and rose. Um, I also like to, in the summer, use a lot of herbs from my garden, things like that. So you just get real creative. You put a little bit in your bottles. A little bit goes a long way. You pour the kombucha on top, let it sit uh, capped, tightly capped for a couple days on the counter till you see some bubbles building up. If it's really warm, just be careful. Those bubbles can lead to explosions, so you just want to use caution. We recommend putting it either in a box or somewhere where, should something happen, everyone's safe. No one's going to get hurt. And then as soon as it has the flavor you like, you move it into the fridge, and now you've got you know kombucha on hand whenever you want it. Okay. Great spark note version. So uh, let's start with that first step then. What you need to get started. Um, you need a container to brew it in. It's got to yes. be glass, correct? Well, uh, there's a lot of materials we can brew in. We just want to avoid things that might leach chemicals. So uh, some people do brew in food, gate, food grade plastic. It's not my favorite choice. If you can avoid it, do glass, uh, porcelain, um, stainless steel, if it's 304 grade and higher. All of those are acceptable because they're used um, in the vinegar as well as beer, wine, and kombucha brewing industries. Okay. okay. So we need something to brew it in. Yes. Glass would probably be the most easiest thing to get, the highest mm -hmm. quality for the cheapest. Let's just say you get like a one-gallon uh, pickle jar. Uh, you got that. Now, what do we move to? We, we move to, the, let's take uh, tea. tea quality. What, where, what do you use? I mean, obviously, the better quality ingredients you use, the better quality product you're going to have. Now, that isn't to say that Lipton's and white tea hasn't been a staple for brewing kombucha for many years. For some people, it certainly has. But um, experimenting even with different types of tea, green tea, black tea, white tea. But again, making sure that it's tea. Tea is Camellia sinensis. And we have a habit of calling things like peppermint tea, chamomile tea. But those mm. aren't the tea plant. And so we don't use those in the primary fermentation. Mm. We can do those in experimental batches. We can put them in as flavorings. But for the primary ferment, we always want to do a tea and sugar base. Same with sugar. Now you could use agave. You could use maple syrup. You could use molasses. All of those are going to yield different types of flavors. They're going to have different uh, health benefits. And... Um, but they might also ferment at different times, and they may or may not have an adverse effect on the culture. So we always want to be doing our experiments with our extra cultures okay. that we have in our hotel. But for our main batch, tea, sugar, SCOBY. Now, SCOBY, quality does matter. You know, um, getting it from uh, someone's basement and you have no idea how they grew it versus, you know, we put uh, we have fluoride-free water, all organic ingredients. You're going to just get a different type of organism. And uh, we've bred our culture to have certain characteristics. It's very delicious. It brews quickly. The cultures are very healthy. So um, SCOBY does matter. 
So going back to the tea, then um, you, you touched on a good point. It needs to be a certain kind of tea. Don't just go to any place and pick a tea off the shelf for that primary first round right. fermentation. It needs to be a certain tea. I heard that it has to be a tea with caffeine in it. Caffeine, just like it stimulates our nervous system, stimulates the yeast to get their process going. Now, particularly in winter, colder temperatures, if the brew doesn't acidify within the right amount of time, it leaves it vulnerable to other organisms colonizing, and those organisms are mold. Now, just like when we find mold on bread or cheese, mm. we're not like, oh my God, the mold, ah. you know, you don't suit up and, <laughs> and dispose of it. You cut it off. You might still eat that piece of cheese. We don't recommend that with kombucha because as soon as the spores are in the brew, even if the mother's on the bottom, it now has mold spores in it. And if you try to brew with it on a subsequent batch, you're more than likely just going to end up with mold again. So we want to toss everything there. Again, it's not that the mold is going to like kill you. It's just most people are sensitive to mold, so it's better to just get it out of your life. You get that out of the way. You start again with a fresh culture. But the other thing I wanted to mention about the tea that you're hitting on is flavored. So we want to avoid any flavored teas because some of the flavorings they're using can have antibacterial properties. And the last thing we want to do is to alienate our mother. So um, we protect her by using organic quality tea. And again, that can be green tea, black tea, white tea. The Hannah special tea blend that we have is green, black, white, and then a little bit of rooibos and yerba mate. So we've uh, rounded it out with some tisans for flavor and health benefits. And so some other things can be used in the primary fermentation. And we go over kind of a lot of that on the blog or or in the book that's coming out. My favorite one's pu'er tea. That one's the best. Well, that's a fermented tea. Yeah, it's super dark. I mean, you can get it in that cake, you know, those little cakes that you can get off the internet or something. And oh my God, that stuff is so um, rich and deep. It takes a little, it's a little acquired taste for sure. But but it's not a strong flavor. I feel like for the color of tea liquor yeah. that it produces, it's not so heavy, but it is I a really a lot rich in, aroma. So okay. <laughs> I, I love that yeah, earthy flavor too. Clark's Steep is a little deeper. That's right. How how are we doing on time, Hannah? Do you have an extra like ten minutes? Are you I okay? do. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sweet. I, we're just in a good spot, and I want to keep going on this. Mm-hmm. Um, normally, we would end it right now, but we're we're rocking. We're jamming. No, yeah, we're jamming, <laughs> man. And this is this is the the uh, the climax of the call is like how to and and the do's and don'ts. So I really want to hit this for the listeners and the mm-hmm. viewers. Um, so we, so we did container, we did tea. Let's move to sugar. You touched on it a little bit and started to go on a rant about it, which I, I want you to keep doing. Um, sugar, very basic. Someone's first batch of kombucha, what should they use? Uh, cane sugar. So uh, cane sugar comes in a couple different forms. We like the organic evaporated cane juice crystals. That's a long way of saying sugar that's not been bleached. So okay. it's still in that crystalline form. It just hasn't been through the additional process with the extra chemicals. White sugar works just fine. Just make sure it's cane and not GMO beet sugar. Um, that kind of like yeah. off, off white. Exactly. Like sugar in the raw or one of those darker sugars. Exactly right. Now, here's the thing. People are thinking, sugar? I'm not supposed to have sugar. What What am I drinking all this sugar for? You're not. The sugar's not for you. The sugar is for the the organisms. In fact, all life requires a certain amount of sugar. And in fact, your DNA structure is built on a phosphate sugar backbone. So not that that's the same as your table sugar, but the idea being that we shouldn't be demonizing all sugar. Now, again, that's your consider the source. Okay. You know, you don't want to brew with high fructose corn syrup. You don't want to brew with, you know, something that's not going to be good for the culture. Now, the benefit to sugar is it's sucrose. Mm. 
So sucrose is made up of both glucose and fructose. And so when the fermentation process starts, the yeast get to work right away, powered by the caffeine from the tea. They start breaking the sugar apart into those two components. And it's the glucose that creates our gluconic, glucuronic acid. These are the healthy acids that help support our liver. And the reason I bring this up is because you can brew with things like agave or or other types of sugar, but if they're primarily fructose-driven, you're not necessarily going to get the same healthy acids being created. So um, you can change. No, I I agree because not to cut you off, but that one time I I was talking to someone on the call about this. I brewed with, uh, what was it? Uh, Oh, it was coconut sugar or Mm -hmm. coconut palm sugar, and my batch just came out terrible. Yeah. And is that is that why? Because it was fructose and not It's sucrose? fructose heavy and that sours more quickly. It's the same with the honey. And that's why like with the jun, which is a green tea raw honey ferment, just as a side note, that one um, sours more quickly because of the higher content of fructose present in the honey. So okay. fructose is going to cause things to sour more quickly because it's like super potent for the yeast and they'll just go crazy. So, um, so for someone's very first batch or just in general, what most people would use would just be a raw cane sugar or just yeah. a, a sugar. Exactly right. And that's the best one to use. That's what the cultures evolved on. And then again, when you have your extra babies, experiment with whatever you want. I did like a brown rice syrup. Oh my gosh, it was just like all these weird stringy yeast globs. Oh, like yeah. so gross. So, yeah. you know, feel free to experiment, but that that's the benefit of using an extra culture is if you're like, eh, I got to toss that batch. You don't have to worry about reincorporating that culture back into your primary brew. Got it. So we got the container, we got the tea, we got the sugar. The last part of uh, the puzzle, well, actually, there's two more parts, but is um, the the main one is what I got right there is that guy, uh-huh. Uh-huh. the floater. Talk about the SCOBY real quick. Yes. So this is, again, our mothership. It's the the bacteria, literally. Like if you see them under an electron microscope, they have all these little fine hairs reaching off of their body. And as those things reach out, they connect. And when they make that connection, it becomes solid. And so when it's first forming, people get worried. Oh my gosh, is this mold? Because it's white. It might come in small patches. It's a thin, translucent skin. But the longer you leave it undisturbed, like no movement, that layer will gradually thicken over time. Now, if we're constantly disturbing it, the layer isn't able to form in the same way. It'll still ferment, but you won't get that same kind of thick layer. So the longer you leave it undisturbed, the thicker your layer is going to get. Not that you need a thick layer per se to brew, but um, and that's why the taste of the kombucha is more important than how the SCOBY looks. Okay. Unless there's a systemic problem. And so with the SCOBY, I've heard, we were talking about ways to get them. I've heard a few different ways to get them. Obviously, the first one is to get it from someone you trust, like a like a site or your friend or driving in LA at two in the morning to get some <laughs> SCOBY for your friends. Um, the, the second way is to, obviously, you can reuse it, which is great. So that's probably the first way. But so friend or reuse. But the third way I've, I've heard people get it is take a... Uh, like a GT kombucha or one from the store, and they just pour it in their first batch, and then it just grows on top. Is that a good way to do it? Well, it's just like trying to make yogurt from a commercial product. What most people find, and yes, you can have some success growing a SCOBY from things like that, but what most people end up reporting is that, well, it didn't end up having the flavor I was looking for. It didn't... um, 
you know, when they do a comparison, like if they use our culture and the one that they grew, they often find that the kombucha tastes better. It's more dynamic. And again, it's just because in a commercial process, you have to make compromises somewhere along the line in order to mass produce the product. And it's not to say that that's bad or good, but you're going to get a better product and a better tasting, a longer living product over time when you get it from a reputable source. So you should probably invest. And it's not, it's not too expensive. It's not expensive, right? right? I mean, think at $25 for a lifetime supply. Yeah, so a SCOBY, <laughs> SCOBY's about 25 bucks. Uh, from us, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Free shipping, oh, okay. $24.88. And how, how does it come? Does it, is it packaged? Priority mail, yeah, with yeah. the starter liquid, which is really important. And that's the trouble is like um, we can dehydrate some cultures and, re- and revitalize them. But unfortunately, with kombucha, the defense mechanism is in the liquid. That hmm. starter liquid has a very low pH. It kills harmful organisms on contact. And when we deprive it of that, we really are putting it at a disadvantage. Moreover, oftentimes the rehydration process is so lengthy that by the time you even get around to making a first batch that then might might go bad or if not the first or the second, you just feel like you failed. And, yeah. and that's really unfortunate because you start with a living, healthy culture. You've got kombucha in seven to 10 days. You know, you don't have to wait that long. Now, the last thing I wanted to mention, and I don't know if you do this, is continuous brew. Have you ever heard of? No, 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 no. So continuous brew is really great because um, it reduces all of the work involved in the batch brew process. So we've been talking about batch brew where we do a gallon batch. We wait seven to 14 days when it has the flavor we like. We take everything out. We start over. We wait another seven to 14 days. Now with continuous, we do a larger size vessel. So this is more like a two and a half gallon vessel. You make a two gallon batch in there. Now when it's ready, instead of draining the entire thing, we only take out half a gallon, which is still like five or six of those 16 ounce bottles. Um, Then you add that half a gallon of sweet tea back in. Because we left 75% already fermented kombucha in the vessel, it only takes a couple days for that to be ready again. And so you can set your pace. So you don't have to top off right away. You could wait until you're just a couple of days from wanting your kombucha, add some sweet tea, and now you have it on your schedule. You go out of town, leave everything alone. You come back, it's a little too sour. You drain it off. You've got your kombucha vinegar for salad dressings, marinades, Mm. hair tonic, facial toner, whatever you want to do with it. You add your sweet tea. Again, you're back to your kombucha in just a couple of days. Now you only have to clean it once every three to six months. So it just, it just streamlines the whole process. Everything comes out the spigot. You should give it a try, Clark. Yeah, 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 I will. <laughs> I, I have those um, giant, I think they're two gallon uh, containers with that fancy glass lid on top too. Mm-hmm. And uh, the lid I actually found I have to take off and flip over. Otherwise <laughs> I get the, the flies, the fruit flies, because mm-hmm. there's a little gap and stuff. Um, so I normally have like one of those going and uh, this was in my peak and the scoby was like that thick and it was sitting on top. It was like a two gallon scoby. <laughs> so this thing was the mothership. That thing was intense. Mama Jama. Uh, yeah, it was. It yeah. Was and that's the thing. It's like you can cut them like people get all afraid. Can I touch them with metal? So this is a common misunderstanding yeah. is um, kombucha is afraid of metal. It's not afraid of anything. It's a powerful detoxifier. So let's say you uh, purchased a beautiful vase at the antique store, not realizing it isn't intended for food consumption and may have lead in the glaze. You start brewing your kombucha in there. Well, the kombucha does such a great job pulling all the toxins out. It's going to pull that lead right into your kombucha. Yeah. Now, that is not what you want to be drinking. And that's why sticking to food safe vessels, you're going to have no problem at all. Yeah. And so a lot of the fear around kombucha is really manufactured because again, this thing has been passed around hundreds, if not thousands of years, all kinds of conditions. And it's really easy to make. Well, that was one of the points I was going to bring up is I was looking before the call on the pros and cons, and I was really looking for some con stuff to bring up and be <laughs> devil's advocate on. Um, and just to get a better quality show, you know, you, you look at things from all sides. And 
only the only cons I could really find were stuff even like on WebMD and other sites that are trying to debunk it for traffic was it all it all resulted uh, from poor handling practices. So they're exactly either using right. like the lead from unsafe right. containers uh-huh. or like they're like it's unpasteurized. And I'm like, well, that's kind of the point. Well, Right, and, well, and, or they're like, or they're like, they're brewing it in a barn next to a cow yeah. that has anthrax. Oh my gosh, our kombucha has anthrax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it yeah, just for makes sure. no. And then they hold that. Well, kombucha could have anthrax. No, it couldn't. Only if you brew it in those conditions. It's, yeah. you know, it's ridiculous. But you, you've got to do your own research. You got to figure that stuff out. We got a lot of that great information on our website. You know, the other one that comes up is the two women in Iowa. But you know, they had undiagnosed conditions. I mean the woman had a perforated bowel. You don't heal yourself from perforations in your body by drinking kombucha. And moreover, you know, it's, it's just, it's silly. It's silly that a food, I mean, the only time you ever hear a food killing people is when it's handled improperly. Yeah. Food so doesn't is, kill people. Is, is there anyone who shouldn't consume kombucha straight off the bat? People with severely compromised immune systems may not be able to handle the toxins that are released through that process. And so we always recommend when people start drinking kombucha in small, frequent doses and listening to your body. This is how we reconnect to that biofeedback process and start to trust our guts again is we consume a small amount of kombucha on an empty stomach. We notice how it makes us feel. And for me, that feeling is often manifested in like my stomach will just release and relax. And when we realize the root cause of disease is diet and stress, and this has stress-relieving qualities to it, it makes a lot of sense why it's important to include. But but folks who have a severely compromised immune system, here's another one. You know, some some guy had uh, was diagnosed with AIDS and drank a bunch of kombucha and had a weird reaction. Well, I mean, you can't just suddenly, you know, inundate your body with a whole bunch of healthy foods. Even that's going to be too much. So, yeah. Well, Hannah, um, talk real quick then about, you know, your blog and your book and where people can find you and, and more about what you do and the Kombucha Mama. Sounds great. Yeah. So we're Kombucha Camp, camp with a K dot com. Uh, we have our free recipe there. We also talk about kefir, milk kefir, water kefir, and jun. So we do have other cultures. If, if kombucha isn't right for you, sometimes starting with one of those is good. Um, sign up for our email list. We got a lot of great info there. We've got videos on YouTube, all kinds of stuff, how to flavor your kombucha, fruit flight trap. Um, is kombucha safe to drink? Things like that are all answered there. And then also our book is coming out February 2016, the kombucha book. It's We'll be telling the whole world about it. 400 pages, um, cocktail recipes alone, um, food recipes, flavoring inspirations, history, health benefits, the research. So we've got it all for you coming soon. Okay, kombuchacamp.com. Got it. Camp with a K. Spell that. Spell that. Uh, Kombucha is K-O-M-B-U-C-H-A and camp is K-A-M-P. Got it. Hannah, phenomenal show. That was really fun. Um, enjoyed talking with you, and you know, an hour flew by just like nothing. So, come back anytime. Maybe when your book comes out, we'll have to do a few live recipes or something. Sounds like great. Have some yeah. brew fun. Some cocktails. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> Thank you, Clark. Really enjoyed it.